0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Daily Bolt with your host, Dr. Jeff Tilley. Today's topics, Mara, Marco, and the third part of my interview with Dr. Bill Gallus on the Iowa derecho event. Sit back and relax and enjoy today's Daily Bolt. So we have two tropical storms now both in the Atlantic to talk about Genevieve is degenerating out in the Pacific. So we're not going to talk about that storm anymore. We'll talk about Marco and Mara Uh, and we're going to start with Marco because Marco is a uh, more Uh, short-term threat than Mara is at the moment in terms of the U.S. coast and interests in the Gulf of Mexico. If you live in Cuba and Haiti, Dominican Republic, uh, Mara is a bigger deal, Uh, but we're gonna start with Marco. Uh, Also, we're starting with Marco because it's the stronger of the two storms, and it's the stronger of the two storms because in the last 24 hours, actually overnight last night, And early this morning, it took a slight jog to the east in its uh, track. And so rather than interact with the Yucatan Peninsula, as had been forecast uh, yesterday at this time, it has not interacted directly in terms of its central circulation with any landmass. And it is emerging over open water into the Gulf of Mexico as we speak. At 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Uh, maximum sustained winds were 65 miles an hour. And the central location is almost directly midway between the Yucatan and uh, the uh, west coast of Cuba. Coming into the Gulf of Mexico, maximum winds 65 miles an hour. And the system is expected to intensify uh, overnight into a Category 1 hurricane the uh, w- water temperature environment is favorable the shear environment is less favorable there is a bit of vertical shear and it is forecast to continue if not increase uh, a little bit over the next two days as uh, marco continues its motion to the north northwest right now it's about 13 miles per hour but it is headed for the southeast uh at uh central louisiana coast perhaps as far east as the mississippi alabama uh uh, state mines at the coast uh arriving there sometime during the afternoon on monday uh as a category one hurricane uh the compensating effects of the warm water and the shear will keep the system uh at relatively low category hurricane status it should probably just remain category one through its entire existence perhaps it may strengthen briefly to category two but by the time it reaches the louisiana coast it will uh, be back to a category one hurricane now that's significant in that we come tomorrow which is uh, <clears throat> substantially farther away. It is currently coming onto the coast of the island of Hispaniola uh, and will be uh, taking what appears to be largely an an overland track across Hispaniola and most of Cuba. Uh, That will keep its intensity down uh, significantly. It is currently uh, moving west at 18 miles per hour. The maximum sustained winds are 50 miles per hour. It's a weaker storm than Marco. Uh, and it will emerge into the Gulf of Mexico probably not long after Marco uh, comes on shore on Louisiana. And so there's about a two day lag between the systems. However, the track forecast, which for Lara has a bit more uncertainty in it, Uh, which is customary and typical uh, given that we're talking now in terms of days uh, four and five uh, from uh, the forecast time, Uh, it's still, uh, the central track still takes it almost right on top of the track of Marco uh, as it approaches the Louisiana coast, though the uncertainty in the envelope extends from east Texas to roughly the Alabama-Florida border. On the Gulf Coast. Regardless, any way you put it, uh, the central Gulf Coast has got two uh, hurricanes that both of them will probably be category one when they come ashore, uh, but two within 48 hours. That's a lot. We'll have a lot more to say about that as we go through the rest of the weekend and into early next week. For now, we're going to pick up again with the interview. With Dr. Bill Gallus uh, about the Iowa derechos, uh, so sit back and enjoy uh, the next section of this interview. Uh, we'll have one more section after this one in tomorrow's podcast. All right. Well, yeah, maybe there's something to be said from that. Um, I'm going to bring up a couple of the damage photos, uh, so I'm going to be just sharing these kind of briefly but let's start with uh this one uh okay get rid of that there it is i think that's the damaged warehouse or is it at least a damaged agricultural facility so and you can see it looks like there's pigs in there I was, i've heard of many
1: many hog confinement facilities so that's put I'm surprised the whole state of Iowa doesn't have pigs running loose across it now. There are a lot of places,
0: but this level of damage is kind of what I'm used to seeing on tornado pictures, not from something like this.
1: Right, and in some of the pictures, you know, that I've seen have actually looked more like EF two damage in tornadoes, which I think is about 110 or higher for the wind speeds. But one big difference, keep in mind. You know, when a tornado hits, you have those really strong winds hit you for maybe a minute or two. Uh, So in this case, the really strong winds were hitting you for 10 to 20 straight minutes. So that is going to do more damage for a a given amount of wind, more damage than if a tornado had that amount of wind that hit you.
0: And this particular facility looks like it's very, very exposed. Uh, there, yeah, there's you've got a couple of silos next to it, which, oddly enough, are perfectly intact. Uh, and that's also like a tornado, but then not like... Yeah, this type of damage is not something you would expect to see from anything but a tornado, and it's it's pretty amazing. It's, it's Tama or Tama County?
1: Right, Tama County is just a little... I think it's the two counties east of me here in Ames, so probably 50 miles east of me. Okay. And I'm guessing those, those silos probably either had water in them or were filled with grain because it was a hog facility. Normally, most of the big grain silos in Iowa, this is the time of year where they're the most empty because the farmers are trying to use up any grain in them to get ready for the harvest. And it turns out when grain bins don't have grain in them, they're much more susceptible for damage. So they look like crushed tin cans all across the state.
0: Well, uh, and, and yes, I'm working on getting one of those up right now. Uh, okay, of course, I've got lots of photos here I'm trying to share. Uh, that one, uh, let's see, can you see that one?
1: Uh, I see the top, like the sky just.
0: Okay, all right, that's that's what I thought. I'm working on, uh, this is the trouble with having only one computer to do all this on. There it is, there's the one I want. Okay, now you can see uh, that. Uh, and that's, yeah, a whole series of grain bins which were not full. <laughs> uh, what I find really amazing about this is the indentation, the imprint, in terms of the damage. It really just suggests that it's, it's like something took a fist and punched into the middle, of the, a huge fist and punched into the grain bin.
1: Right. And that, that, again, I think is a sign you know, that these were straight line winds. The wind was just plowing into that from, from you know, the west, in this case, and was able to just, just to crush it. I, you know, years ago, I was an expert witness in a trial where a grain bin had sort of gotten damaged or collapsed in a storm. And my impression is they are built to withstand winds up to about 90-ish miles per hour so you know the fact that so many failed is consistent with this idea that winds were 90 miles per hour or more over a a pretty large chunk of iowa
0: uh absolutely uh the the images are just amazing to me Uh, i've got a couple more um this is from a farm field uh and come on there we go uh from scranton iowa uh, the farmer standing in the middle of what used to be his cornfield, and you
1: see that absolutely everywhere around here. It's it's very sad.
0: Yeah, I, I, What is the damage estimate currently? Do you know?
1: I you know I had heard probably from crops alone the estimate is three point eight billion dollars.
0: I can believe that i guess i'm not getting corn on the cob in the grocery store anytime soon
1: (laughs) although ironically we have lots of corn stands around our city and three when we got our power back a few days after the derecho my wife brought some home and the people selling it said they they picked it off the ground from their corn plants that morning and it was i have to say it was probably the best tasting corn on the cob i've had
0: okay i'm going to show another picture from tama county and more grain bins And this one's even more amazing than the other one.
1: Wow! Uh,
0: Yeah, the whole this grain bin. I mean, it looks like it's completely ripped off the foundation, and so is the second one. And they plowed into the third one, which uh, ran into a fourth one, which is still intact. But uh, yeah, it's not just uh, that the idea of having it a fist punch into it, but totally. Uh, you know ripped it off the foundation and it's like a a set of
1: dominoes that right that's the first thing that came to my mind too is dominoes Uh, in fact it'd be I haven't heard anybody talk about this I'm glad you showed this picture Jeff it'd be interesting to see farms when they had the different orientations of the grain bins you know what was better or what was worse in this case the winds were out of the west and they were aligned west to east I don't know. Was that better or worse? If they were four in a north-south line, maybe they all would have looked like the first one.
0: <laughs> a good question, and uh, I don't have a good uh, you know perspective on that. I'm assuming someone's doing uh, photo surveys and damage surveys for at least insurance purposes, if nothing else.
1: I I hope so. And you know, and to be honest, when I see pictures like this, I mean the highest measured wind from any station was 112, but when I see pictures like this, I keep thinking, I, I would bet money that there was even stronger winds than that, but but again, the wild card is we're so used to only seeing winds that strong in, in the Midwest from a tornado, but in this case, the winds lasted a long time, and so, you know, maybe it didn't take, I'll say 140 mile an hour winds to do this, it just took 10 minutes of 100 mile per hour winds.
0: Well, that's that's a good question, and the last thing I'm going to show in terms of an image is actually this is a another graphic from the National Weather Service Des Moines uh, website. Uh, so this is what they have put out there in terms of wind. So a very wide swath of sixty plus mile per hour, uh, a narrower. Uh, band of, of 80 plus mile per hour, and so they, they don't claim that Ames had more than, my, I guess, 79 mile per hour winds, uh, and these intermittent 100 plus areas, and there's Tama County over here on the right, uh, Marshalltown, uh, Boone is right there, so...
1: Uh, right, uh, I can't... I found this interesting judges real quick, I wanted to add, you know, so my son lives in a small town south of Ames. It's right in that green swath of intermittent 100 miles per hour. okay. He finally got power back yesterday afternoon after nine days. And in that that path, many roofs were blown off of houses. So the damage does look like from a major tornado down there. But he said, you know, when he got up into Ames, the south part of the city, he's thinking, oh, it didn't look very bad at all, but when he got to my house, which is at the very north edge of the city, he was commenting, you know, we had a street light a few blocks from us that was uh, blown down on the ground. It was bent, ninety degree angle, one foot above the ground. Wow. Uh, speed limit sign was snapped off. The metal snapped at the base, and the damage was much worse. So, you know that that basically the eighty degree line or eighty mile per hour line there is kind of across the north side of the city. Um, this is. You know, there's no weather instruments. I have a a friend, another meteorology professor has a weather station. I said, well, how high did the winds get at your house? 14 miles per hour because the power failed, you know, three minutes before the winds really hit. So there's no data in a lot of these areas. So this is an estimate. But I, I would say the general concept is correct, that the original swath missed Ames to the south, But where there's, you know, fuzziness, we're not sure, is where did the next swath start? And I would bring probably that blue area down more into the north half of the city.
0: Yeah, uh, and yeah, this is preliminary, so I expect this will get revised considerably before it's all said and done. Okay, so that is part three of the interview with Dr. Bill Gallus. Uh, we'll finish this up tomorrow, have more information on Marco and Mara. And for now, I'm Dr. Jeff Tilley. This is The Daily Bolt. Thanks for listening and watching if you're watching the video. And have a good night, good afternoon, good morning, and stay safe.